Welcome to the Liberty Leadership and Lies with Larry Linton podcast, coming to you from the Goat Locker Studio in Sevierville, Tennessee. Be sure and check us out and like us on Facebook and Instagram, and follow us on Telegram as well as on the website of libertyleadershipandlies.com. You can subscribe to notifications on the website to follow the blog there. If you would like to contact the show, just send an email to Larry at libertyleadershipandlies.com. Again, that is Larry at LibertyLeadershipAndLies.com. Now, on to the episode. Leadership. Well, just to follow up on my weekend update news, I'm excited to announce that my leadership consulting company has been contracted to provide services to one of the largest energy providers in the United States of America, and for the near future. Well, at least three months, and that starts next month. There's a possibility for three additional months taking the contract into June of next year. Friends and family members have asked me if it will impact my decision to run for office to represent Tennessee's 12th House District. The answer is a resounding no. I am committed to that course of action, And many of you know the reasons why. While there will be extensive travel required for this contract, I will still be able to run my campaign, at least remotely, while I'm gone. I do have plenty of like-minded people that will assist me locally while I'm out of town. With regards to the contract, though, I'm excited to be able to take my talents to a new and a fairly large-sized company and help them explore ways to develop their employees into high-functioning teams. When I can help individuals tap into their leadership potential, it is very satisfying. I believe that everybody has leadership potential. As I have mentioned in a previous episode, I do not believe anybody is a natural-born leader. Leadership is a skill set, and like any other skill set we possess, it takes study, learning, practice, and training on that particular skill set to maintain it, or it will atrophy. And much like our electric leadership, over decades and generations now, have forgotten or not exercised their duties and responsibilities of providing leadership to our elected representatives in our system of self-governance, the electorate's leadership skill set has atrophied. Let's talk about voter engagement or voter participation. For the 2020 elections, the U.S. Census Bureau reported high voter registration rates and 21st century record voter turnout. I think it can be safely assumed that those numbers are quite skewed due to the inherent fraud injected into the system by the vote-by-mail scheme that was illegally instituted in many states because of the pandemic. And the same thing applies to the extremely relaxed voter registration requirements in many states, in addition to those same states not cleaning up their voter registration rolls that have been allowing people that have been dead for more than 20 years to still be registered to vote. But I digress. Let's discuss that average voter participation rate in the United States of America. From 1840 until 1908, the participation rate hovered close to or above 70% of the voting age population. 1912 saw the participation of the voting age population drop below 60% for the first time since 1836. Since 1912, the participation of the voting age population has hovered around only around 55%. Sometimes it dipped below 50%, getting as low as 49% in 1996. What happened in our Constitutional Republic around 1912 
that would cause such a drop in voting age participation in our elections. We've discussed it on this podcast many times. It is one of the biggest travesties in our nation's history, and it happened in 1913. That is when an amendment to the Constitution was passed that allowed the government to rob us of our sweat equity. Yep, the 16th Amendment, which allowed the usurpers of our liberty in Washington, D.C. to gain unfettered access to a seemingly never-ending supply of money. Money that they now use as the carrot and stick when dealing with the electorate. I'm not sure if the 16th Amendment caused the drop in voter participation or vice versa. One thing we can be sure of, though, is this. When the electorate lessens or stops exercising leadership over their elected officials at the local, state, or federal level, the new aristocracy sees that as a green light to further rob us of our liberty. We in the electorate need to restart exercising and asserting leadership of those that are chosen to represent us at all levels of government. We need to ensure that they represent ours, the people's, interest when concerning legislation and taxation. For far too long now, they have only been representing their own self-interest at our expense. At the expense of our liberty, our sweat equity, our freedoms. Here's an honest question for everybody in the audience. Ask this question of your family, friends, co-workers, and neighbors as well. Here it is. Can you name one elected official that suffered financially during the pandemic and shutdowns of last year and this year? Name just one. There isn't one. Why? Because they have insulated themselves from their actions that they have imposed on the electorate through their legislation and mandates or whatever you want to have. The form of leadership they have been exercising in our republic is autocratic and not servant. And it's both parties. Our republic can only survive if elected officials are servant leaders. Servant leaders that shift the focus away from the institutions of self or the institution of government. The focus of servant leaders is on the citizens solely. The servant leader prioritizes the needs of the citizen and shares their power with them. Unlike almost every single one of our elected representatives right now, if their focus had been on the citizens and our rights throughout this pandemic, there would be much less suffering. If their focus had been on the citizens, they would not write their constituents disparaging email replies, much like Senator Gardenhire did recently to a fellow Tennessean when this citizen brought up concerns to that elected representative. Regular listeners should recognize that name, Todd Gardenhire. He is definitely in the camp of the new aristocracy or the transpublicans in the Tennessee General Assembly. I'm going to hang up his email response to this constituent on libertyleadershipandlies.com in the blog there. Go ahead and read it. How such a blatant disregard for a citizen's concerns is tolerated is way beyond me. Additionally, how his peers in the General Assembly have not held him accountable is beyond me as well. In regard to servant leadership in elected office and the sharing of power with the citizens, this concept is perfectly captured in our founding documents both in Tennessee and the United States of America. In Tennessee, it is captured in Article 1, Section 1 of our Constitution, which states that all power is inherent in the people and all free governments are founded on their authority and instituted for their peace, safety, and happiness. 
For the advancement of those ends, they have at all times an unalienable and indefeasible right to alter, reform, or abolish the government in such manner as they may think proper. In truth, though, it is the people actually sharing their power with elected officials because the power is the people's in the first place. But we're back to leadership now. Specifically, the lack of servant leadership in elected officials like State Senator Todd Gardenhire, who represents Tennessee's Senate District 10, comprised of Chattanooga and surrounding areas to the east and northeast. If you live in the district he represents, go over to my website. Look at the derision in his email response to a citizen that was just expressing concerns over the dismal performance of the General Assembly during the special session that was convened to specifically address government overreach based upon all things COVID. And then based upon his response, as well as his actions earlier this year in facilitating the relocation of illegal aliens to and through his district, which resulted in the sexual assault of those same illegal aliens, demonstrates that he is definitely not interested in sharing power with his constituents. He is only interested in partnering with organizations that receive government funding, you know, that citizens' sweat equity, and sharing in that, in the words of Alexander Teitler, largesse out of the public treasury. We have to ask the foundational questions about Senator Gardenhire's elected service in our General Assembly to find out if he is a servant leader or an autocratic one. So, have the people in his district grown as persons? Again, in light of the actions with regards to the illegal aliens that he was instrumental in facilitating in his district, the answer is no. His involvement in relocating those illegal aliens resulted in a continuation of the human trafficking nightmare that is occurring at our southern border, as well as the sexual assaults of illegal alien minors at the facility in Chattanooga. Another foundational question about his service in the General Assembly is this. Have the people of the district he represents become healthier, wealthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous? Well, I do not think significant numbers of citizens throughout Tennessee have become freer or more autonomous over the course of the government actions in response to COVID. The legislation proposed by the General Assembly in their special session clearly demonstrate that. In fact, they carved out exceptions in their response that result in a complete erosion of Tennesseans' rights to exercise sovereignty over their own bodies. Another no to a qualification as a servant leader, but a definite yes to a qualification as an autocratic leader. How about the characteristic of stewardship that a servant leader has? Well, the General Assembly, in the special session prior to the recent one that was convened to address government overreach, they voted to give a corporation nearly $1 billion of our, the Tennesseans, sweat equity. And then they turned around and abdicated their responsibility for protecting our rights over to a corporation. Definitely not being good stewards of our sweat equity and our rights. They turned over both to a corporation instead of protecting them. How about the General Assembly's response earlier this year? when they were trying to rid government schools in our state of the racist and divisive curriculums that promote critical race theory. Were they successful in that? Well, just give a listen to the audio from a video that is being shown to kindergarten students here in Sevier County. Yes, 
Sevier County. It's a fairly long audio clip. It's around five minutes long. But please be patient. Pay attention to the dialogue. We'll discuss it and the accompanying workbook material that the children are given. The workbook is given to parents, not the audio or the video clip. So give it a listen. Here it is. Hey, Jesse, your house is great. Oh, thanks again for inviting me to Thanksgiving. Of course. There's just one thing. This isn't Thanksgiving. It's not Thanksgiving? But your whole family is here. Yes, but... And you guys have all this great food. I know, but... Food that you're thankful for. All that's true. But it's still not Thanksgiving. For one thing, it's September. Oh, right. Thanksgiving's in November after Halloween. I just thought I was all mixed up. But here's the thing. My family and I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. At least not the way you're thinking about it. Even in November. But wait, why not? I'll try to explain. You see... Back in 1621, a group of settlers left England on a ship called the Mayflower. Right. I know this story. The pilgrims were coming to America so they could worship how they pleased. If you know the story, then you know there were already people here when the pilgrims arrived at Turtle Island. Whoa. Where's Turtle Island? It's here. Turtle Island is the name some native people used for the continent we live on. What the Europeans decided to call America. Cool. I love turtles. But wait, who are the people who were here already when the pilgrims came? Well, like my family. That is, our ancestors. See, my family and I are members of a nation or tribe called the Wampanoag. And we were here when the pilgrims started to build their settlement at the place they called Plymouth, Massachusetts. At the time, we welcomed them here. But they were new to this land, and we weren't sure they knew what they were doing yet. Tusquantum, a friend of the Wampanoag Nation who spoke English, helped the settlers grow food to survive that first winter. To Squantum? Sometimes he's called Squanto. Oh, yeah, that guy. To celebrate, the Wampanoag and Squanto invited the pilgrims to their harvest feast. It lasted for three days, and everyone gave thanks for the food that they had grown. Wait a minute, a harvest feast where everyone gave thanks? I already know that story. That's the story of the first Thanksgiving. The pilgrims met the Wampanoag at Plymouth, and they feasted together. But that time at Plymouth? That wasn't the first time anyone thought of a harvest meal. When fall comes around, my people give thanks to nature for the harvest. And we've been doing it for thousands of years. There's more to Thanksgiving than just the harvest, though. What more is there? Oh, uh, uh, well, uh, it, it's the first time the Wampanoag and the Pilgrims met, right? So it celebrates that meeting and the peace between them. Uh, doesn't it? 
Well, um, that's kind of why my family and I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. See, thing is, the peace didn't last because it wasn't just the Mayflower that arrived from Europe. Over the years, more and more ships came from Europe with more and more settlers arriving on Turtle Island every day. And as there were more and more settlers, things got less and less good for my people. They were forced off their land. And worse things happened, too. Wow, that doesn't sound like something to celebrate. No. And that's why my family celebrates the Harvest Festival instead. The same one our people have celebrated for thousands of years, with or without the pilgrims. And we celebrate our strength, our ability to survive through hardship, and our story. Can you understand that? Of course. I'm glad. I'm thankful I got to tell my story to you. And I'm thankful I got to hear it. Interesting, don't you think? First, I have to give credit to the creators of that video and its accompanying audio I just shared. It is a product of Amplify Core Knowledge Language Arts. I'm not sharing the audio for purposes of profit. I'm sharing the audio to provide awareness to parents with children in government schools, indoctrination centers. They, Amplify Core Knowledge Language Arts, are providers of curriculum to many government schools all across America. But before we discuss it, if you need to, just rewind the podcast about five minutes to listen to it again. Now let's talk about the accompanying literature that each parent is given about that video. It states that their child will be listening to a read-aloud that captures the excitement and danger of the separatist experiences in England and their voyage to America on the Mayflower. It also states that your child will soon learn about the pilgrim's interactions with Squanto and the rest of his tribe here in America. I'll give you this. Those two topics were briefly mentioned in the five-minute audio clip you just heard. Very briefly. What did you take away from it, though? I took away from it exactly what the intended takeaway is. The founding moments in our nation's history are filled with many evils brought by the European settlers and how those still affect people today. How Native Americans don't celebrate the national holiday that is Thanksgiving because of the actions that were brought to Turtle Island by the evil white European settlers. So, the video is shown to children and the reading is sent home to the parents. And they have little relation to each other. The reading is supposed to appease parents' concerns with the curriculum that their children are being exposed to while not actually showing the parents what their children are being exposed to in these videos. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Well, a concerned teacher here in Sevier County showed the video to other concerned parents. For the residents of Sevier County that think critical race theory, in its many manifestations, is not being taught in our government schools, you would be absolutely wrong. You're either being lied to by the school board and the school administrators, or they are completely blind to what is being taught to our children, even at the kindergarten level like this video. A parent 
concerned about this and many other videos brought this video to the attention of the school board meeting at their monthly meeting this past Monday. Bringing this and other matters to the attention of the elected members of the school board is an example of each citizen's responsibility in our form of self-governance. What will come of this citizen's actions is yet to be seen, but it is what we all must do. Engage with the people that exercise authority only with the consent of the governed. Apathy towards their actions implies consent to those same actions. That is what people in elected office have been relishing for generations now. Our apathy has given them consent to do the many unconstitutional activities they have been doing for decades. It first started with a drop in voter participation around the time of the passage of the 16th Amendment, all the way up until today, when our government is placing trillions of dollars of debt on our back, indoctrinating our children to hate themselves or our country's founding, and to abdicating legislative authority to multi-billion dollar corporations. It includes creating the largest, by number of employees, organization in the United States of America that finds ways to further erode our liberties. That largest employee organization is the federal government. It also includes the executive branches of government at all levels to create pseudo-laws in the forms of mandates that is prohibited by state and federal constitutions. These executive branch mandates and the agencies that fall under their authority are in a mad rush to remove the citizens' sovereignty over their own bodies and what is injected into them in the name of safety and health. We need to take control of our, yes, our, legislative bodies and restore them to their design purpose. One of the ways in which we can do this is through citizen activism and calls to action. Recently, another independent candidate for Tennessee governor put out a call to action on his website and social media pages that I would like to share with my audience. Please give John Gentry a listen and answer the call to action. Hey, Tennessee, I need you to step up with me now. This is a call to action, and I need everybody that watches this video to help me. I've been working on this in the legislative, in the legislative houses and in the courts, and I can't get it done alone. So I need the people to start performing the least of civic duty here. So what I'm going to ask you, I want you to call four state officials. I'm going to list them out and tell you why. I want you to call four, four of these state officials, not just once. I want you to call them every day until this gets done. And I want you to call them two or three times a day. So we're talking, you know, five, ten minutes of your day, uh, two or three times a day. That's all I'm asking. And I, I believe that when we do this, government is going to come to heal and start doing what they're supposed to. I know many of you think that phone calls don't work, but let me tell you about a gentleman I know, Philip Kemp. His rights were violated by two corrupt judges, and he wanted to remonstrate through his district representative who kept ignoring his phone calls. But he kept pressing, wanting, demanding that his uh, representative meet with him, one of her constituents. And eventually, she gave in and agreed that she's going to file a remonstrance on behalf of Mr. Philip Kemp. So I know that if we put the pressure on, that they're going to start doing these things. So here's, here's who I want you to call. We're going to start off with Chief Clerk of the Senate, Russell Humphrey. And in the, in the post-typed text 
uh, uh, for this video, I'm going to include all the phone numbers and email addresses in there so you can refer back to that. You don't have to write it down while I'm talking. I want you to call Chief Clerk of the Senate, Russell Humphrey. I want you to tell Clerk Humphrey to cease his constructive fraud on the people of this state with the false tennis version of the Tennessee Constitution that is held out to the people on the General Assembly website. That Constitution, that false version, is prepared by the Clerk of the Senate. And Clerk Humphrey knows that it's wrong, and he refuses to correct it. So I want you to call him every day and say, did you get it fixed yet? Did you fix the Constitution? Is it correct on the General Assembly website yet? Do it every day, two or three times a day. Next, I want you to call uh, Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton. Uh, Cameron Sexton is the, is the speaker, and he is oppressing the right of the people to present petitions and remonstrances by oral address to the House. This is a constitutional right that we have. And this, this I want to I impress upon you how important this is. This is one of the most cited constitutional law books. It was written by an 1883 Michigan Supreme Court Justice. And he's talking about this right of petition. And he says, it's a sacred right, which at difficult times shows itself in its full magnitude, frequently serves as a safety valve if judicially treated by the recipients and may give to the representatives or other bodies the most valuable information. It may right many a wrong, and the deprivation of it would at once be felt by every free man as a degradation. And so when government and Speaker Sexton oppress this right, it is a degradation of all free men, and we all need to stand up for this. Uh, he said, he went on to say, the right of petitioning is indeed a necessary consequence of the right of free speech and deliberation, a simple, primitive, and natural right. And get this, as a privilege, it is not even denied to the creature in addressing the deity, praying to God. We all pray to God, and God answers our prayers. The Speaker of the House won't even hear our prayers. He sets himself above God and that is not to be accepted. So I want you to call Speaker Sexton's office and tell him to uphold the people's right in Article 1, Section 23, and to start performing their duty to hear and decide petitions and remonstrances, and to schedule the remonstrance that I presented on May 3rd, 2021, on behalf of citizens from across this state. Next, just like Clark Humphrey, I want you to call Secretary of State Trey Haggard's office. Uh, his office, too, has a false version of the Tennessee Constitution on their website, as well as in the Tennessee Blue Book. And they've had this at least for the last two editions that it's been wrong in there. And when they came out with the last edition, they already knew that it was wrong. So now it's an intentional constructive fraud. So I want you to call Haggard's, Trey Haggard's office and say, did you get it fixed? Is it done yet? And I want you to call him twice or three times a day, every day. And the last one on here, Senator Kerry Roberts. He works as chair on committees and he sits in joint government ops as well as in the Judiciary Committee. And Senator Kerry Roberts, talking about judges holding prohibited offices in the Board of Judicial Conduct, said uh, legal experts and members of the bodies don't think that it's a office of trust. It is absolutely an office of trust, the Board of Judicial Conduct, and those judges and chancellors sitting in that prohibited office 
are in violation of the Tennessee Constitution. It's an unlawful alteration of our form of government. It is not to be tolerated. It is the head of snake, head of the snake, perpetuating rampant corruption in our courts throughout the state. So I want you to call uh, Representative or, or Senator Roberts, and I want you to tell him judicial oversight is legislative power, and they need to take that power back, and the Board of Judicial Conduct should be abolished. So I'll have these all, what you need to say with these four people, their numbers and their email addresses. Email them too, but the phone calls are going to be more effective. If we stand together and we do this consistently until they fix these problems, these unlawful alterations of our government, if we keep the pressure on, we're going to get this fixed and we're going to start a great healing of this republic. So thank you for taking this time with me. I implore you, stand with me on this, and we'll get this done. My name's John Gentry, candidate for governor 2022. God bless, and in God we trust. I'll be sharing links to that video on my social media and my blog. It is important that the electorate exercise their role as the source of authority that elected officials exercise. Remember that, that we the people are the source of their authority. Because I'm sure most of us and almost every elected official has forgotten this. These elected officials only govern by the consent of the governed. That's us. We, the electorate, are their bosses or their employers. And they need to be reminded of this fact constantly. Well, some final thoughts on leadership for this week. I want to go over again the fallacy of what is considered a wasted vote. This fallacy is mostly pushed by members of the two major political parties. These people will tell you that voting for an independent candidate, like myself, is a wasted one. Or they will tell independent candidates, like myself, my campaign is a waste of time in the hopes of intimidating me and other independents out of the race. Well, A truly wasted vote is one that is cast just because somebody has an R or a D next to their name on the ballot. Voting, based upon a candidate's membership in one of the two major political parties, gets us more of what we are going through right now. Neither of those political parties truly care about liberty anymore. Let's look at the national level and the current political party that is in power right now. The Democrats who for the last four years claimed that Donald Trump would be the end of our democracy. Once they get into positions of power and authority, what did that get us? The federal government is now, either through coercion or bribery, trying to take the freedom from every man, woman, and child in this country, our ability to determine what does and does not get injected into our bodies. Never mind the end of democracy, it is the end of the sovereignty over our own bodies. How is that working out for us? Now, how about the GOP? They scream, hey, send us money so we can work to ensure election integrity and work to get a smaller government. Well, how's that working out for us? Millions of dollars collected by stoking fears in our elections, very founded fears, and they turn around and spend that money on everything else but election integrity. Or they defect from their principles of smaller government and join with the Democrats and placing a couple of trillion dollars more of debt on our backs, growing the size and scope of the federal government. This independent candidate, me, I will work to restore our constitutional principles, 
both in Nashville and Washington, D.C. Voting for this independent is not a wasted vote. It could actually be considered a twofer. The first, by electing a true, conservative servant leader to represent the only special interest that matters, the citizen. And the second, by sending a message to the two major political parties that their time at the wheels of power and their erosion of our liberties is over. It is time for a restoration of the citizen-servant leader to once again, as our founding fathers envisions, serve in the halls of government and throw the usurpers of liberty on the ash heap of history. Before we close the show, I would like to leave you with this from God's Word. Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. We all need to make righteous choices, not only in choosing our friendships, but in our choices of elected representatives. The wicked will always lead people astray. Lead them away from the correct choices in friendships and elected officials. We, our republic, we have been led astray for generations now. Led astray by people, no matter their political party affiliation, intent on obtaining power and robbing us of our sweat equity and our liberty. It's time for a change. It's time for all of us to stand up and do something. Until next week, stand in the arena with me. Reveille, it's time to wake up.